Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you. If you could get your Bibles out and turn to Romans chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Romans chapter 6. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no, uh, if you're like me, we're eager to get down into the fellowship hall and get some, uh, get some grub in our bellies. Uh, but we want to take a second to first talk about every fa- everyone's favorite uh, subject, um, <clears throat> sin. So uh, we started a series last week called Sin, and, and it's, it, it's basically under the belief that our sin will stunt our growth in Christ and render us ineffective in our mission for Christ. So we just spent almost six months talking about spiritual growth and transformation and then mission, right? So it makes sense for us to then think about what would be some of the hindrances and therefore we must go to this topic of sin. Now, we talked last week, like, we praise God that our debt has been paid. It's been canceled. It's been nailed to the cross with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that it no longer uh, is allowed by God in the courtroom of heaven in his thoughts about you. Amen? Oh, boy. Are we awake? Today, we're going to be talking about deadly sins. And, and the, the main premise for today is simply this, is that sin kills joy. Can we read that together? One, two, three. Sin kills joy. So as, as I was prepping for this week, I, I had the thought that I'm sure most of us in here would much rather be spending time talking about political divisive issues instead of this. Uh, we'd rather uh, go to the grave talking about uh, those things that divide us socially in the world today than talking about the things that unite us like sin. Uh, Sin is the human condition of every soul, is it not? Brokenness is the reality of all of our lives because we're not yet home. We're not yet with Christ. When we talk about sin, we're talking about the universal condition of humanity. That's, that's the reality of it. And, and it's, it's basically attributing to every human soul that there's something broken within us, that, there's, that we're not perfect, even though we might think we are. Even though we spend times in the mirror looking to try to make ourselves look perfect, no matter what, we're not. Sin is the infection of every human heart. And, and, and there's a, a recent scholar, a pastor uh, who just passed away a few years ago. Uh, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said this, what is the matter with the world? Why all the war and all this unhappiness and turmoil and discord amongst men? There's only one answer to these questions. Sin. It is just sin. You know, one of the gravest errors that we can make as the world does, and and, and one of the greatest errors that it has made throughout history is that it normalizes this. It does what it can to make this excusable or even acceptable or go so far as celebrated in the world around us. So every generation has had the normalizing of this, have they not? Years and decades and centuries ago, right? Murderous conquests for land, power grabs. A little bit more recently, racism, 
abortion normalized, right? More recently than that, what do we have today? We have, uh, well, this has probably been throughout all the generations, sexual morality has just been totally normalized across all cultures, has it not? Sexual morality in all of its various expressions. Uh, addiction has been normalized now. Um, and, 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 and it comes in ways that, that are, are deceitful. Uh, one of them is, uh, it's called a, a little thing called entertainment, we are an, a, a, an addicted culture to entertainment, right? We, we are, it, it, and it's normalized now. You know why? Because when you see the ads for why you should subscribe to Netflix or Hulu, it's so that you can quote unquote binge watch. Binge watch. Put anything on the end of the word binge and it's not good for you, except for Jesus. Go binge on him. Binge anything's not good, but now we're normalizing sitting in front of a TV for hours watching your quote-unquote favorite show. And not only that, but we've also seen just a slew of recent movies come out that are designed to muddy the waters between good and evil and make you sympathize with evil. We've got movies, like I'm not saying that they're really wrong movies, but I'm just saying, look at the movie The Joker that just recently came out with What's-His-Face playing it. I don't even remember. Uh, or, or the movie Cruella that just came out on Disney Plus, right? Y'all remember that movie? Uh, 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 that came out in the 60s, so probably all of us know what it is. 101 Dalmatians, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, terrifying movie. As a three-year-old, as a five-year-old, I was, oh my goodness, I had nightmares because of that movie. You know why? Cruella DeVille. Come on, parents. Seriously? Cruella DeVille, cruel devil. Let's go let our kids watch a movie about that. And we have movies that come out and try to sympathize with the cruel devil, Cruella. I haven't seen it and I'm not saying it's good or bad. Don't, I mean, if you wanna go watch it, that's fine, but just watch out. But don't, and, and, and here's what I'm not saying either. I'm not saying that, that, that there are human beings who aren't deserving of your love and grace. There are. Every human being, every image bearer made in the image of God is deserving of your love and respect and honor and desire for their good. There's no one outside of that circle for you. But what I am saying is that we're, 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 we're normalizing the culture of evil, which then just makes it a culture of death. So that's why we're going to continue over and over again to see turmoil and war and discord and dissatisfaction all around us. It's what scripture describes in, in Romans 6. So because of the nature of this, because I love you too much not to talk about this, well, because I love you so much, I can't avoid talking about this. Does that make sense? We, we must talk through this. And, and so we're gonna be in Romans 6. And, and, and before we get to our main verse, which is Romans 6.23, which you probably already have memorized because it's the Romans road verse, right? Let me kind of explain the context. Paul's answering some really tough theological questions. Romans is a good, massive theological work. It's incredible. It takes years to study through it in depth. Romans 6, he's answering, so, so he, he just talked about how where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, Amen. Right? As we as believers, grace abounds wherever sin is in our lives. But then there's some people who just took that and run with it, ran with it, right? 
well, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What's Paul's answer? No, absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And he asks another question. Since we're now under grace and not under the law, should we still sin? And he says again, no, absolutely not. We're slaves of the one we offer ourselves to. We can't be a slave of both sin and of righteousness. It's one or the other. And then we get to like the last part of chapter six. And let me, let me just start reading in verse 19, okay? That's, that's where we're gonna uh, start for the context and then our main verse is verse 23. Verse 19. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So the, what fruit was produced from, then from those things that you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So verse 23 is, is really just what we're looking at and, and diving really deep into today. And in its context, it's talking about a lifestyle, quote unquote, of sin, right? We, we often attribute this verse just to a salvation verse as we do with the Romans road, right? And, 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 and it means we typically view it as a gospel invitation. And in many ways we should, right? We should look at it that way. I mean, look at the things that it contrasts. It contrasts death with life, right? It, it, death and life. Our, our gospel says that Jesus raises us from the dead so that we can walk in new life forever. But not only that, notice what else it contrasts. It contrasts earning and giving, right? Notice that. Look, look, he, he, says, he says, the wages of sin is death. Sin earns us death, that's what it pays out. Our severance check at the end of the day is death. God gifts us eternal life at no cost to us, paid in full by the blood of his son, Jesus. This is our gospel, right? So yeah, absolutely. Invite people in with this verse. Keep the context in mind as we're looking at this today because Paul's commuting the truth about the nature of sin in a lifestyle. He's communicating the nature of sin in how we live and he repeats its nature twice. Look at verse 21 again. He said, what fruit was produced then from the sin you were enslaved to and are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. The fruit or what sin produces is death. And then look again in verse 23. He says, the wages of sin is death. Guys, the, the Greek word for death here is thanatos. And you Marvel fanatics should know exactly what that's referring to. Thanos, remember? I'm a Marvel geek, so just, just ride along if you're not interested at all. I don't, 
it's okay. Thanos, right? Thanos, the, you know, the evil, wicked warlord villain from the last decade who probably is the most popular villain today, right, with the Avengers. Uh, he, his objective was to wipe out half of, the, of all life in the universe. And he first appears in, in, in 2012 after the Avengers pushed back the invasion of Loki's alien army. And the bad guy says to Thanos, he says, to challenge them is to court death. And then Thanos kind of just looks around and he gets that creepy look because he's death. Thanos is death. Thanatos is death. All he brings is death. Sorry for geeking out. Scripture pays out one thing. Sorry, Scripture says sin pays out one thing and that's, that's death. Guys, sin, sin is a false advertisement of life. Hey, just come on, yeah. Come, come look in here, I got, I got some life for you. And all it does is deliver death. It falsely advertises life, but it only delivers death. Sin is deadly, it kills its victims. Guys, in, in, in the theme of, uh, in Hebrew culture and in Greek culture, there's, there's the thought that scripture has that death isn't the end of something. Right? When we think of death, that means it's just been cut off. It's no more in existence. That's not what scripture has in view. Death is seen as separation in scripture. Right? So even in Greek philosophy, uh, uh, Philo, the Greek philosopher, he describes death as a separating of the soul from the body. Right? In, in the book of Psalms and in other places, a frequent complaint is that death itself brings separation from Yahweh, who is the source of life. Not only that, but look at Genesis 3. Think about that. That's a very vivid depiction of how sin separates. Think about it, right? Rewind in the, in the, in the clockwork of your head. Go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what happened? He speaks all of creation into existence in a beautiful way with just words. Come on, God, that's awesome. And then he creates mankind, Adam and Eve. And they're the pinnacle of it all. Man, they have his affection and attention. It's beautiful. And as he's there, as he's enjoying them and they are enjoying him, he gives them dominion over all of creation. He says, hey, yeah, it's all yours. Rule, it with, rule over it with me. Let's, in, let's do this together. It's incredible. In all of this, he gives them only one kind of restriction. One thing they shouldn't do, which is what? You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Whoa. There, there's, a, there's a guaranteed payout, right? The wages of sin is death. The day you eat from it, right? Now, we gotta make sure we're understanding this. God's not saying that the tree itself is what gave them death, right? The tree itself, knowledge of good and evil, that's a godly attribute. No, it's the sin within themselves that welled up to the point where they disobeyed. That's where sin originated, within the heart. That brings death. So, so God gives them this, this restriction, and then what happens? What do we know? What, do we, what, what happens next? Satan lures his way into, or finds his way into the, the garden, and he lures them to the tree, and he says, come and eat. Hey, you, God actually got it wrong. You, you, you can know better. This is good. Come try they're tempted and they eat from the tree. They take a bite. And then what happens? 
does, does, does scripture say that in that instant, lightning comes down and strikes them and they just fall over and breathe their last? Is that what it says? Did they die? They did, just not in the way we think of death. No, what happens? God comes to them. He finds them, seeking them out. And they do their little blame game thing. Well, it's his fault. Well, it's her fault. Whatever. God then describes to them in the curse of how their sin fractured the infrastructure of all of creation. And then what? Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. They're separated on that day from the presence of God. Now eventually Adam and Eve, they do die physically, but on this day, they experienced a more horrifying death. And that was, that was separation from, from God. So this means categorically, when we think of the word death in scripture, there's a lot more than just the end of our life here that it means. There's a lot more involved. When it says the wages of sin is death, it's not just talking about, hey, oh, we're gonna die one day. No, there's a whole lot more. And included in that is the separation from God. The death that sin pays out is a separating, it's a distancing from God. That's what it pays. That's what you get when you invest in sin. It just happens, right? And here's, here's where we're gonna go with this. Here's a major premise for the morning. When, when scripture pays out death, included in all that that means is this truth. Sin breaks intimacy with God. Can we say that? One, two, three. Sin breaks intimacy with God. Guys, you remember how we had that really uncomfortable conversation a few weeks ago about this word intimacy when we were talking about intimate communities of discipleship? You remember that? And how in order for us to be intimate, we have to be known and fully know someone else. That's what we defined as intimacy. And that's what we're looking for in our body as a church, which means you have to be close, right? In that conversation, we described how Intimacy is often spoken of in spatial terms. So for example, my wife could say, I feel a thousand miles away from my husband, even though he's lying in bed with me three feet apart from me. Right? You can be physically close to somebody, but feel emotionally and relationally miles away. The distancing that death brings is primarily of intimacy. That's actually the core of what happened in the garden. It's not that we just lost eternal life and getting to live forever. We lost God. That was the biggest problem. That was the cause of sin. That, or Sorry, that was the result of sin. And the most terrifying thing, distancing from God in intimacy, in relational closeness, Guys, sin pays that out. That's what sin brings. It means separation. Guys, I'm not saying anything new, am I? You've probably experienced this in your own relationships, have you not? Whether it was your sin or the one sinning against you, 
that can break relationships. It can hinder it. I, I don't know about you, but in the dating scene, did you ever find long distance relationships to work? Not really. They don't really work well. Sin acts as a distancer. Whether, I mean, even in your own relationship with your spouse, when you sin against your spouse, there's a natural distancing that comes. Guys, Dr. Williams Bates, he said this. He said, the most pernicious effect of sin is the separation of the soul from God. Not the fact that we now die. And, and this is eternally true of everyone not in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, it's only in part and for a short little while. I mean, even as believers, friends, our sin can distance us from God. Notice how I'm not saying our sin can distance God from us. Our sin is us distancing ourselves from God and it can hinder our relationship with him. So easy example would be Ephesians 4.30. Uh, Paul is, is giving us ways for how we should live, right? He says, do this, don't do this, uh, put away from you this. Put things like crude language, bitterness, anger, lying, all of that, put it away. Why? Because it can grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. That word grief is the same word described as those who are grieving the loss of a loved one who can still have the hope of redemption and future uh, relationship again. But, but it's the same grief. We have, with our sin, the potential to grieve the Holy Spirit as believers. It's possible. We can break God's heart with our sin. Because it's just a universally true thing. Sin pays out that kind of separation. It just invests in sin and it distances. Now, again, I wanna make sure we're understanding it's not as if God is distancing himself from us. No, God loves us unconditionally and is for us and wants to be close to us. And that's why he offered his son on the cross for us. It's not like he keeps you at arm's length. It's not as if he withdraws into the hurt that he feels. It's us distancing ourselves. So uh, do you remember how in the book of Numbers, uh, the Israelites are getting ready to head into the promised land and Moses is there because there's some Israelites who aren't wanting to cross over the Jordan. They're wanting to, to, to settle on the east side. And Moses goes to God, God, oh, that's not good, but I'll allow it. And, and so they do, but they make a covenant that the, those, those are gonna come in and actually help conquer all of, all of Jerusalem or all of Israel for the Israelites. And so then what happens is Moses is reminding them of their covenant and he says to them something. He doesn't say, oh, if you don't do it, God will judge you. If you don't do it, he'll take away his hand of protection. No, what he says to them in Numbers 32, he says, no, your sins will find you out. Your sins will find you out. Guys, distancing from God is just a spiritual form of gravity, right? Think about it that way. When, when someone steps off of a roof, 
is their falling, just God judging. Oh, you're, you're, I'm judging you all the way. You're going to fall and it's going to hurt. <laughs> no, that's, that's insanity. No, stepping off of a roof is a violation of gravity and the natural response, the natural effect of that, the consequence is that you fall and get hurt. So when, when, likewise, when, when truth and righteousness are violated, when we sin, God may not dramatically bring judgment against us, but instead, he will allow consequences to naturally flow from the sin itself as a form of discipline for us. It's what a good father would do. And part of that is the payout of death that breaks intimacy with God. As what I'm, what I'm trying to, it's getting colder outside, right? It's getting nice and frigid. Some of you enjoy that. Some of you wish you were in Florida. Um, imagine it's a cold, frigid day. You're up on the top of the mountain and, and the wind's just howling. And you're inside a, a nice house, but it's not got heat and and the sun is outside shining in full strength. And it's just, so you find a window and you just stand in the window and you let that sun warm your soul. And it's warming every part of you. And then all of a sudden you just shut the drape. You instantly get cold again. Us sinning is like closing that drape. We're, 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 the, is, did the sun stop shining? Did it just fall out of the sky? Did it run away? No, it's still. But then our sin can get in the way of that, warming our souls. Our sin can get in the way of us being satisfied by God because we're trying to satisfy our souls with things that just can't do it. Our sin breaks the warming intimacy of God. So that's, that's the first premise for the morning part of the death that sin pays out is an intimacy breaking distance with God that's the first premise and and here's the second one joy is found in intimacy with God can you read that with me please one two three joy is found in intimacy with God Guys, when I'm talking about joy, I'm not just talking about happiness. Happiness is such a fleeting emotion. You can have it one day and it's gone the next. Joy is a state of being. It only comes from God and his joy is our strength. Um, King Solomon, right? You remember him from scripture? He wrote several books in the Old Testament, Proverbs. One of them that he wrote was Ecclesiastes. And And in that book, he took a good chunk of time to consider what all he found in pursuing every earthly treasure his heart desired. Listen to this guy. Listen to him. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. And that's just a little snippet in a massive section. Verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. As this is hedonism, straight up. And look at where he lands with it. 
Look at, look at where he goes. Remember, this is the wisest dude ever. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. There was nothing truly, ultimately satisfying under the sun on this earth. Why? Well, King Solomon had a daddy. His name was King David. And this is what he says in singing to our God. He says, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Sing about that. So Solomon spent his whole life trying to find satisfaction and joy and pleasure on earth. And he did not limit himself from what he could find. And all he found on earth was like a dog chasing the wind. And then David, boy, in your presence, God, that's where joy is. In the presence of our Father, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, in close proximity to God lay fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Guys, did you think God was just trying to make you as boring of a person as possible when he invited you into a relationship with him? Did you, did, did you think that he just wanted you to have a miserable life of obedience? No, he wants to satisfy every part of you. He wants to make you whole in him. That's his longing. He wants you to be the most joyful person that anybody has ever met. And it's only found in his presence. Because God is the source of all joy. In other words, joy satisfaction and contentment is only found living in close proximity to God. True, lasting joy is only really experienced in experiencing God. Guys, that's what made the Garden of Eden so amazingly satisfying and alluring. That's why, that's why heaven one day has my heart. Oh my goodness, I can't wait for that. We're going to be with he who is the source of all joy. But do you also see why this is so terrifying? Because if, if it is true that sin breaks intimacy with God, and it's also true that joy is found in intimacy with God, What's the only conclusion that we can come to or one of the biggest conclusions that we can come to with those truths in mind? Your sin kills your joy. Your sin kills joy. Now, let's... Let's make sure that I'm, I'm, we're all on the same page. For those of us who are not in Christ, sin does kill us to an eternal separation from God where there is no joy experience, right? 
But no, us who we're in Christ, our debt has been paid. It's canceled. It's condemned on the cross. No, no, no. We, we're saved by grace. We're, we're, the record's gone. We're, we're reconciled back to the Father and we're promised to be with him for an eternity. He who is the source of all joy and pleasure forevermore. And until you and I are rid of the indwelling infection of sin and until we're made new as a whole being, the small indulgences that we give into sin here will kill our joy. So uh, Cambridge professor Williams Whitaker, he said, when we sin, we sin away the joy wherein we were created for. To sin is to break relationship with God, which means sin is the biggest enemy of our joy. Some of us overemphasize Satan's role in his ability to rob us of our joy. No, our sin is what ultimately, chiefly robs us of our joy in this life. Guys, sins are, I'll say, killjoys. They're killjoys. They don't do anything but kill joy. Our sin pays out death to our joy. And Satan knows that he can't use our sin to condemn us before God anymore. He's been disarmed of that ability. It's been canceled. But no, he can surely, truly try to make us as miserable a people as possible by putting in front of us that which tempts us to pride and envy and anger and and sloth and greed and and, and gluttony and, and lust. He, he knows these things kill our joy. He knows they don't satisfy our soul. He knows that they rob us. They don't ravish us with delight in God. He knows that they numb us. They don't heal us. He knows that they slaughter us. They don't save us. Guys, um, King David, after he had committed uh, a wretched abuse of his power, sexual immorality, adultery, and murder, and being totally unaware of the disgusting nature of all of that, has a prophet come to him. And the prophet calls him out with an illustration. And David is made aware of his sin in a horrifying way. And, and the Psalm 51 is his is his written response to what he felt when he was made aware of his sin. And guys, I would probably say that out of all the chapters in the Bible, Psalm 51 in my Bible has the most tear stains in it because it's where I often find myself. And in that chapter, you find him pleading for God uh, to show mercy and grace, to blot out his sins. And then in verse 12, is probably one of the most powerful prayers um, that, that I, I, I find myself praying when I'm, I'm feeling overwhelming conviction for sin. And, and, and it's this, restore the joy of your salvation to me. We as believers, we don't have to ask God, restore my salvation to me. No, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I need your joy again, God. Give back to me what I had and what by sinning I lost. Guys, it wasn't 
salvation he was asking for. He, he had been washed clean. But it's the joy that comes from God rescuing us from our sin and reconciling us back to him that he had, he had lost and wanted it back so badly. As Christianity is not merely or even mainly about correcting your bad habits. It's about satisfying and fulfilling you in the deepest way possible with an abundant joy. And therefore you make God as, look as great as he really is. And sin is in its essence is the declaration that something other than God is more to be desired than God. So if sin kills joy, that means when Jesus says things like, hey, uh, don't lust after another man or another woman. Or he says, hey, don't idolize and stockpile material wealth here on earth. When he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. When he says, forgive those who sin against you. Guys, these aren't just commands for behavior modification. No, they're actually designed by God to say this way to life, this way to joy. Think about it, because the opposite of those is sin. And if sin kills joy, then things like lusting after another man or another woman, idolizing material wealth here on earth, living solely for your own self, holding grudges against an offender, all of those in every expression of them and more are will kill your joy. I would say test it out, but I don't want you to experience that heartache. It's just true. It's, it's, it's why famous celebrities bent on getting the attention of everybody in the world can be so dissatisfied and broken in their fame and seeking to, to correct what's broken within them with all sorts of broken pacifiers. It's why greedy billionaires, not saying that being a billionaire is a, a sinful thing, but when, when they've stockpiled and greedily built up all of their wealth, they can just find themselves really lonely and discontent at the end of the day. It's why, why drugs and alcohol and porn addicts never find true contentment at the bottom of the bottle or at the end of a drag or, or at the end of the video. It's just not there. You're not gonna find it. And you know what's even crazier is that when we talk about sin uh, and, and how it kills joy, we often think of those obviously bad ones. We don't think of the ones that are up here or in here. So like there are ways that those can kill joy too. So like just thoughtfully lusting after a relationship you might could have had but missed out on or lusting after a relationship you enviously and greedily want right now. Or, or, or uh, in your own mind and heart, justifying your use of food to soothe some pain in your life or just not even having control over it altogether. Things like pridefully holding on to internally and not forgiving an offense that you experienced years ago, it's still in there and it still plagues your thought processes towards that person. Or maybe like, the kind of selfish living that comes from a paralyzing laziness 
and all you do is just blame the current circumstances that you're in or, or arrogantly critiquing someone else's lifestyle or their lack of abilities with no regard to your own lack of love and gentleness. Guys, there's a lot more that can kill your joy than just not murdering people and not sleeping around. The, the little whispers of gospel, the, 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 the lingering on that image too long that should not be in your mind as you're scrolling through, whatever it is, it's killing your joy. It's trying to satisfy your soul when only Jesus can truly do that. All of these, there's so many ways that our joy can be killed. And they kill your joy in God. They kill your joy in life. They kill your joy in relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting. They kill joys in friendships. They kill your joy at work. In all the things that God created is good. Sin could kill your joy in it. Because sins are killjoys. Sins are deadly. And this is, this is what I think in part God means when he says, for the wages of sin is death. It kills your joy. And that's why um, theologian John Owens, in his book, Mortification of Sin, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now we praise God that it's not killing us to the grave and eternal separation from him, but it kills our joy. So be killing sin or sin will be killing your joy. So at this time, I'm, I just want to ask that we would all bow our heads and, and I wouldn't be surprised if you've already felt pricked I wouldn't even be surprised if you've already started to defend something in your life or excuse it or be overwhelmed by it. Next week, we're gonna learn a lot more about how to kill sin, but for now, I'm just going to ask you one question. How long are you willing to hold on to something that is robbing you of your joy in Christ? I have the confidence that if God's spirit is in you dynamically and you're listening, I get to believe right now that he's showing you some of the killjoys that you're secretly holding on to and you're unrepentant of. And I just want to ask you to open up your hand and no longer white knuckle it. I want, to, I want to ask you to have the kind of faith like John Wesley describes where, where at every moment, even right now, no matter our circumstances, we have available to us infinite measures of God's grace, accessible by faith alone, ready to be lavished over us when the temptation comes and his spirit is available and in us to lead us into the truth, to guide us on this path of life. And so I'm asking right now, will you open up the hand that has clenched onto whatever sin it is, whether it's deceit or lying 
gossip, it's envy, it's selfishness, it's pride, it's lust, it's idolatry, it's malice and anger, whatever it is, you know what's in your life. God's grace has called it out. And in some ways you've held on to it. I just want to ask you to open up your hand today and say, God, I'm, I'm done with this. I know that it has only destroyed my joy in you and it keeps me on this cycle and I need the truth that's going to set me free from this. So would you break this bondage in my life? We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.